you have a copy of God's Word, turn again in God's Word, Hebrews chapter 12. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be closing out our study of chapter 12 here this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, our focus will be on verses 25 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29 will be our focus. And just for context, I'll start reading at verse number 18. So I'll be reading verses 18 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12. Here again is God's word. Let us give careful attention to God's holy word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is God's word. One of the errors that people have today, even some believers, they think that 
have a God of the Old Testament, a God that was wrathful, that was angry when people sinned, and the gracious God, the God of the, the New Testament, the God who loves and, 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 and gives grace. What leads to this type of erroneous thinking, that there are two gods? That God relates to 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 creation in two different ways. What leads to this? What leads to people thinking that God is is different from the God of the Old Testament? Well, you know, Jesus speaks of grace and and of peace, and and because Jesus speaks of grace and peace, God God must be no longer serious about disobedience he he must uh, we can we can create uh, a kind of god that is who is loving and and caring and 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 he is uh he he kind of winks an eye when we disobey him and when we approach him in a in a way that is uh that is that that is unlike uh, those the approach of people in the in the Old Testament. God is, is seen as loving, gracious, merciful, and in many shy away from the idea that He's an angry God and a wrathful God as well. Think about the people at the foot of Mount Sinai. They heard the, they heard about God and and. Later on, what did they do? They made a God of their own. They they were there. The, the, the reading from verses 18 through 24, uh, particularly 18 through 21, about Mount Sinai. This is about the people's encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Uh, the people met God, God uh, temporarily and in a limited way manifested himself with a blazing fire, with a storm. The mountain was, as God was speaking, the mountain was shaking and the people were fearful because God manifested himself in, in that way. How did they respond? They went away, said that they would obey God, and then they created a they created a God of their own. They had just they had seen God reveal himself, not just on the mountain. It was the God, the same God who delivered them from Egypt, the same God who sent the plagues. The same God who led them with a with a pillar of cloud and and fire, the same God who opened the Red Sea so that they can walk through on dry land. The same God who kept them and watched over them, delivered them from Egypt. God revealed himself to them in a real and tangible way. And what did they do? They went away and made a God of their own interpretation. This is what people do today. 
they make that you ask them, what are you, who is God? Well, my God, when somebody say that, they're already going down the wrong path. Or the, what a, my, well, the God that my God, my Bible says that God is this way. Making a God according to their own desires and not truth, just like the people of Israel. Thinking that God somehow changes some that thinking that God, we can interpret God in a way that lines up with what we desire. Did we not read that God's ways are not our ways? His thoughts are not our thoughts. God is not like us. God is beyond and outside of us. And he has not changed, beloved. The, the, the God that is described in the Old Testament is the same God described in the New Testament. He's immutable. He's unchanging. His attributes are unchanging. The only the, 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 the only difference we, we see in God is that God now has uh, related to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's still the same God. And this sobering reality, this sobering reality, any, any true biblical understanding of God as revealed in, in both the Old Testament and New Testament, this 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 true knowledge should do something to us. It should drive us to Jesus Christ. Remember the people of Israel, they heard God speaking. And what did they want to do? What did they tell Moses? We want God to stop speaking because we can't take it. We need a mediator. We need somebody to go in, in between and stand between us and God. You see, the knowledge of God drove the people of God to a mediator. And that's what the true knowledge of God does. The true knowledge of God doesn't lead us to to recreate a God in in uh, in our own image. No, the true knowledge of God leads us to the creator, leads us to the savior. That's what the true knowledge of God. It leads us to him and, and to the gospel. It leads us to. To, to cling to Jesus Christ. And it compels us who are believers to persevere in the faith despite our difficulties that we go through in life. The true knowledge of God should cause us to desire to obey God's word uh, and to continually desire more of it, to know more about him. This is what the true knowledge of God does in the heart of a true believer. You might say, you know, I believe, but how is it that you believe? Even demons believe. Even demons have a, a knowledge of God, but that knowledge does not lead them to embrace God to embrace Christ, they reject God. They reject Christ. They hate God. They hate Christ. So we must be careful in our thoughts of who God is so that when he speaks to us in his word, we will be careful 
to obey and take heed with the utmost seriousness in what he has said. And so the, our thoughts here this morning would be on don't stop listening to God. Because of who he is, we must listen with an, an open ear, continually listen to him as he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. So pay close attention to him who speaks. That's what we're going to see here in verse 25. Look at verse 25. The author is. The author says here, don't don't refuse him. Pay close attention to him who, who speaks. Don't refuse him. Look at verse 25, where the writer Hebrews says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. This verse opens with C. Uh, this is the uh, ESV, uh, the, N, the NIV and the NASB. Starts this verse out with see to it. See or, or see to it. And, and, and this is uh, what Richard Phillips says. This denotes that this see to it or see is, it's a, it's, it, it refers to a careful watchfulness. See to it. Be careful. Be watchful. For there is a real and grave danger, uh, Richard Phillips says in regards to this word. Right is saying, be watchful, pay close attention. For there is a real danger near. Jesus made this same kind of warning throughout the Gospels. Listen to Jesus as as he uh, uses this this same word, this same word, see, see to it through the Gospels. Matthew 24 and 4, Jesus uh, Jesus answered and said to them, see to it. And what is the danger? What's the warning that Jesus is getting ready to give? He said, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. That's the danger. Mark chapter 13, verse five, it says, and Jesus began to say to them, see to it again that no one misleads you. Luke chapter 21, verse 8, Jesus says, and he said, see to it that that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. Paul even used this word. Uh, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, 30, uh, 33, he says, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love, talking about uh, the husbands, uh, is to love his own wife, even as he himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Paul says in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So the author is warning, pay close attention. See to it. Take care and be watchful. For what? What is it that the, the author is 
warning these believers. What danger is there? Look at the verse again. Look at verse 25 again. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The critical word here is refuse. This word refuse means to decline, avoid, appreciate, uh, uh, should say uh, depreciate or reject. It's a deliberate refusal. He says, do not refuse him who is speaking. Who is the him here? This is God. The writer admonishes these. These are professing believers. Remember, these are those who profess to be believers. And he admonishes them to not refuse him or, or God who is speaking. Know that speaking is in the present tense. God, God's continual, direct communication. God is speaking. Is this saying that God is giving continual revelation that we should be taking in and, and putting in our Bibles? No, that's not what it is saying. God is speaking in a special way. In a special way. How? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God's God is speaking. God is continually speaking to us. He is speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one. Verses one through three. Long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke there was many, God spoke in many times. There were many ways in which God spoke through the prophets, different ways, different means uh, and methods of communicating uh, his truth to his people. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, he, uh, Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How is God communicating to us? God spoke through the prophets and he has spoken in the greatest possible way through Jesus Christ. This he spoke to the prophet, but the God has spoken. He is speaking in the greatest possible way through Jesus Christ. Turn back to Hebrews. Uh, uh, turn forward uh, in Hebrews, back to to chapter twelve, and look at something that we read in our last time together. Hebrews chapter twelve. Verse 24. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. And he's talking about the blessings that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 24, and to Jesus, 
the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkle blood. Notice what he said. That speaks present tense. The blood of Jesus, he says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus Christ speaks of salvation. It speaks of access to God. It speaks of atonement for sin for those who believe in him. Each time we think we're going to come and after uh, the, the, the service, we're going to we're going to have another service where we observe the Lord's table. We're going to have the news and we're going to observe and proclaim the Lord's death because God is saying something. He is saying something as we remember that Christ shed his blood. God is saying something about his love for us and not only about his love for us, but about his holiness. The writer is saying, he is saying to these believers, and he is saying to us, he's saying, you have, you have this privilege right here, right now. As the word is read, God is speaking through Jesus Christ. He has warned already. He's warned us. He's warned us already in Hebrews chapter three, verses seven through eight. He says, therefore, as you, he says, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the in the in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The people of Israel, they hardened their hearts to God speaking through Moses, they hardened their hearts through God speaking through the manifestation of his holiness on the mountain. They hardened their hearts and said, we don't want to hear. We want to make a God after our own image. And the writer of Hebrew warns, he says, when you harden your heart, he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, take care, brothers. Talking about these who profess to be believers. Take care. Least there be in any of you an evil. Unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See to it, see to it, pay careful attention that you do not refuse him who is speaking. If you hear the gospel, if you hear the truth of the promises of God in Christ, be watchful that you do not say no to what God is saying in Jesus Christ. Be careful. 
God calls you to live holy in Christ. Be careful. Pay attention that you don't say no. Look at verse 25. It continues. You pay attention. Why should we pay attention? Because we saw that rejecting the earthly uh, message was serious. When the people rejected God's message of the of, of obedience to his Ten Commandments, when the people rejected the message of God's covenant uh, that, re- that called for obedience, the people were punished. Verse 25 continues, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, the Israelites had the privilege of hearing God's voice on Mount Sinai. They heard God speak and it shook the mountain. God spoke to them through Moses and gave them the Ten Commandments. They had the privilege of hearing uh, what, what, what God was saying to them. The other nations didn't get this privilege. This was a special privilege for God's people. God gave them his commandments. And God warned them on earth, and yet they rejected what God said and lived in disobedience. And this this refusal, the writer says, to heed God's warning did not go unpunished. And we know all you got to do is go back and I think read Deuteronomy 28 and all the curses. Remember, God said, if you obey me, here's the blessings. If you disobey me, here's the curses. And what did the people do? They disobeyed God. And what did they get? They got the curses. They didn't escape. God warned them. They didn't escape. Instead of entering God's rest, what happened to the people who uh, met God at Mount Sinai? They died in the wilderness. They didn't even get a chance to go. God had promised them the land of Canaan. and And they were on their way. And the land was right there. But because they refused to heed God's message, they didn't enter the land and they died instead in the wilderness. Their children got a chance to go. The writer says, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less. This is where it comes to us. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven god warned israel from earth but for us who are believers god is speaking through christ and he warns us from heaven and we the writer says we will not escape if we reject him William Barclay observes, he says this, quote, if a man merits condemnation for neglecting the imperfect message of the law, how much more does he merit it for neglecting the perfect message of the gospel? Because the gospel is the full revelation of God There is laid on the man or woman who hears 
it a double and a terrible responsibility. And his condemnation must be all the more if he neglects it, end quote. Notice that the writer says, we. He includes himself in this. He, he, include, he includes himself in this warning. He, he, he includes himself in all of those and all of us who profess to be, uh, to be believers. Again, as I, I said earlier, many Christians today believe that God is, a, is more tolerant of disobedience than he was in the Old Testament. This is a this is a false assumption because the writer is saying just as those in the Old Testament who refuse to heed God's word, we today who profess to be believers, if we in any way refuse what God is saying in Jesus Christ, we too will suffer serious consequences. Remember what the warning of Hebrews is all about. The writer of Hebrews is warning these professing believers who are tempted to turn away from Christ and go back to living as they, uh, as the people did under the old covenant. The author is warning about apostasy. Those who profess to be believers, who go to church, who attend church for a period of time, but then there comes a time when they turn away from God, when they turn away from Christ, when they reject the gospel and they go their own way. This is what the author of Hebrews has been warning us of the threat of apostasy. And this is his final warning in Hebrews. This is the final warning that he gives in Hebrews. God God is the same God. Yes, the New Testament focuses on the grace of God in Christ. Yeah, that is true, but it can, it's going to be more terrible for those, more terrible than for the people who passed away in the wilderness because of their rebellion. It's going to be more terrible for those who reject God's greater revelation and salvation in Jesus Christ. It's going to be greater. It's a, because more, much more has been given through the knowledge of the gospel. You've been given. What does Paul, uh, Peter say in, 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 uh, in, in his letter to those in, in Asia Minor? He says, uh, you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When, when you, as you come to know Jesus Christ, you have, he says, you have it. It is yours. But if you turn away from it, 
and the sufficiency of it and say that what God has given me, what God has promised me in Christ is insufficient for me to live life in this world. It is insufficient for me to walk through the difficulties and trials in this world. It is insufficient to give me the endurance and the perseverance to endure through trials and tribulations and persecutions. It's not enough. The writer of Hebrews is saying, be careful because you're walking on shaky ground. You're drifting. Your anchor is no longer holding. You're drifting away. You're drifting away from the Savior who gave his life so that you may have peace and joy in this world, regardless of what you're going through. Look at the beginning of verse 26. He continues his warning. He said, the one who speaks will shake earth and heaven. Verse 26, at the time, his voice talking about it, Mount Sinai. Again, notice that he's contrasting. He's not saying that God is, is different. This is the same God. He said that at the same time, his voice shook the earth. Can you imagine? Remember, talked about imagine yourself being at the foot of Mount Sinai when God manifested his presence there. And there's lightning and thundering and there's a a storm cloud and there's darkness and there's an earthquake. All of that is going on and the people are standing. And then God not only manifests himself, he said, don't touch the mountain. Don't you don't you dare go up there and touch that mountain or you're going to die. Can you imagine being there? The fear that you would have. And the writer is saying, listen, in the same way, at the, in the, God, he said, at this time, his voice shook the earth. This was a sign of, of the, the seriousness that God wanted the people to have. He was serious about his word, so he shook the earth. He manifested himself in this way. He said, at, at, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will not only, this is the same God, I will not only, uh, will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the, the writer of Hebrews, he is saying that, there's there's coming a greater display. Listen, beloved, there's coming a greater display of God's power. And, 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 and this display will be in the day of the Lord. One day in that day, in the day of the Lord, when Christ returns. God will shake not only the earth, 
but the heavens. And this is a quote, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is a, uh, the writer is alluding to Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through, uh, six through 7. And, and, and in the context, uh, Haggai refers to the coming, uh, is referring to the coming of the Lord to save his people uh, to, and to uh, receive the treasure from the nations. But uh, the writer of Hebrews is pointing to this. He's saying that this is uh, a prophecy that points forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he is saying on that day, the day of the Lord, God will shake both heaven and earth. Back in Haggai, God was talking, was speaking to the people that that he would come and he would uh, conquer the enemies of Israel and that that he would give the people the resources that they need to to rebuild the temple. And so God will come and and he will shake and 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 destroy the kingdoms. But there this is pointing to that day. That day, that dreadful day, the day of the Lord. Look at verse 27. He says this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that are uh, things that have been made. This final shaking. The first shaking was at Mount Sinai. The final shaking will be at Christ's second coming. And it will remove all the temporal created things. And it is at this time God will remove earthly, worldly things. And, and the only thing that is going to be left behind when God shakes heaven and earth will be the unshakable eternal realities. It will be the things that cannot be shaken. Turn to Second Peter. Turn to Second Peter. It's a sober warning. This is a reality that reveals that our God has not changed. He is still a terrible God. He is still a God who must be feared. He is, a, he is the same God who must be approached with reverence and awe. Second Peter chapter 3. I'll read verses 3. And this is talking about the day of the Lord. Verses 3 through 13. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things uh, are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I'm saying nothing ain't changed. God promised that he was coming, but things are continuing. They remain the same. Verse 5, for they deliberately, 
overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Talking about the flood. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Those who reject, those who refuse God's message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why it is, is that why is it that God is being gracious? And not punishing those who disobey and reject his gospel right now. Who's living, who has breath in their body, who has ears to hear the gospel and yet reject it. Why is it that God is being patient? Because he wants you, if that's you, to come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Meaning, you won't know when it comes. Like a thief that breaks into a home. Nobody knows when a thief will break into a home. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Uh, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? If, 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 this is, if this is true, the type of people we ought to be are those who live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is what we're waiting on. Creation will be, it will be shaken so that all sin, all that has been impacted by sin and its works will be removed. All the kingdoms will be overthrown and crushed. And all that will remain is the kingdom that Christ shares. What we read about, uh, about the heavenly Jerusalem, <laughs> the, 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 the myriad of, of angels, what, what, the kingdom that Christ shares. With us, that is the only thing that will remain.
And Christ shares this with, with those who continue to trust in him, who continue to trust in him and continue to run the Christian race for him. And so I want to ask you, where will you be standing when everything of the created order is, is shaken? Is it secure? Is it safe? Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 and 16 says this. On that, on that great day, the day of the Lord, those who rebel, who live in rebellion against God and, and Jesus Christ, verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones, the ones who have great power, and he says, and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, how are they going to respond on that day outside of Christ? They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks on the mountains. Verse 16, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who can stand? Where are you? Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? Is, is your trust being lived out in reality and how you worship God, how you uh, in, uh, run the Christian race, how you relate to God's people? Can it be seen? Can your trust in Christ be seen in the way that you conduct yourself? Because on that day, if you're not in Christ, all you will have is a God who is a consuming fire. The only security from God's judgment is in Christ. In Christ, you will remain secure. So how are we to respond if we're believers? How are we to respond? We're to be thankful. That's the first thing. We have received an un unshakable kingdom. We're to be thankful. Rather than fear, we're, we're, uh, as members of the new covenant, we're obligated to be thankful. Look at the beginning of verse 28 where it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You should be thankful. Uh, Paul said that we should be thankful and, 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 and at all times. In all, in all things, you should be thankful in all circumstances because the kingdom you are in is enduring and it's eternal. If you're a believer, the kingdom that you're in is enduring and it's eternal. It's not temporal. It's why we're to let the things of the world go and embrace that which is eternal. 
We're to work and to seek treasures that are stored up in heaven and not the temporal things that are on this earth. And notice that the writer says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving. It says you're receiving it right now, a kingdom. It, you're receiving a kingdom that cannot, you're receiving it right now. It cannot be shaken because Christ is your refuge from God's wrath. If you trust in Christ, if you believe in Christ, if you endure, if you do not turn back and shrink back from following after Christ, you are receiving right now a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And in Christ, you're delivered, you're safe, you're protected. <laughs> Listen to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Listen to how Paul says this wonderful truth. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He says uh, in his prayer, he says give, that he's given thanks to the Father who has qualified you, uh, talking about these Colossian believers, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In verse 13, he says, he has, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the kingdom that will not be shaken. If you are in Christ, I'm not talking about a passive, uh, easy believism. This this embracing that God is a God of all. He's just a God of grace. This 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 easy easy uh, uh, embracing of, of 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 following after Christ, where where you know God knows me and and, and He knows that 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 I'm struggling, and so He'll look over when I, I turn away and I go after the things of the world. Paul says. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Delivered here means to be rescued from danger. It is to be saved, to be, you've been rescued, delivered from danger of the domain of darkness. Don't go back and embrace the things of the darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. We're delivered. We're rescued from danger. Christ leads us into triumph. And Christ's rule is forever. His rule is forever. The psalmist says, your throne, O God, is forever and forever. (laughs) If you're in Christ's kingdom, Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, even now, your life, your life, the the life that, 
that Christ has died for you to have is with Christ. Christ is your life. Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. And no matter where you are in this world, no matter what you experience, no matter how this world may be shaken around you, your life, your spiritual life, the life that Christ has given you as salvation, it is safe, it is secure. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? The writer said, if you, if you believe that, then he says, be grateful. Not only does it say be grateful, look at the rest of verse 28. He says, and let us offer to God acceptable worship. You see, acceptable worship is not worship that is centered on human beings. Wor acceptable worship is not coming to God in a way that we think is appropriate. No, acceptable worship is centered upon God, the eternal God, the glorious God, the almighty God. It is centered upon him. And, and acceptable worship is done as we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. We don't come to God and worship him uh, based upon our righteousness, based upon our own conception of God. No, we come to God. We draw near to him through faith in Jesus Christ because of who Christ is, because of who Christ, uh, because of what Christ has done. I therefore worship God based upon what he has revealed in his word. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you that enables you to worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter four, verse 24. The Holy Spirit who indwells you, enables you to offer your entire being to God. Romans 12 and 1, Paul says, I beseech you uh, by the mercies, based upon what God has done in Christ, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body, present your entire being, your mind, your body, your heart, your soul, present your body as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they took sacrifices that, that they had already killed and they put it on the altar to be consumed by the fire of God. And the, the Paul says, now in Christ, you are living. You have been born again. You've been regenerated. You've been enabled to give all that you are in spite of what you're going through because of what God has done in Christ. He says, look at that. Be motivated by that. Be compelled by that and give your total being every second, every minute of the day to God, the living God. Offer to him acceptable worship. The implication is there's worship that is unacceptable. And what characterizes acceptable worship? Enablement by the Holy Spirit. Worship God in spirit and truth. Faith in Jesus Christ. Drawing near to God. Uh, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And such worship is characterized by reverence and awe. Reverence and awe of God the Father. Acceptable worship of those who know God is compelled by love for Jesus Christ, the Savior. Look at verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Notice, is. Is. It doesn't say, for God was a consuming fire. It doesn't say God will be a consuming fire. We must get God right. For God is a consuming fire. God has not changed. He is still holy. Even if we are in Christ, you're still to draw near to God with reverence and awe. And if you're not in Christ, if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, because our God is a consuming fire, one day you will face him without the clothed, without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, without the justification of Jesus Christ. You will be standing as it is naked before him. And because he's a consuming fire, he will burn up everything that opposes him in that day. Without Christ, you must face him as he is. And if the people in the Old Testament, when they face God in a limited way on Mount Sinai and they fear God, just imagine on the day, the day of the Lord, when when God when 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 the heavens are open, you see God for who He really is. Can you imagine on that day what's going to happen to you? So many people play with God because they don't know Him. That's why. They create a God. They go and create their own cast. Create God in their own image. Why? Why do they make two gods of the Old Testament and New Testament? Why do they do that? Because they don't know him. In a sense, they hate him. They hate him for who he is. So I'm going to hold back. I'm going to refuse some of the truth about him. I don't really like the way he revealed himself. Beloved, I close. You must pay a, you pay attention to the God who is addressing you in Christ, in the gospel. The God who is addressing you through the preaching and the teaching of his word. Pay attention. See to it. Give careful attention. Take heed. I like what the Master Seminary says in part of their, their slogan. We train men as if lives depend upon it. 
Can I say? The preaching and the teaching of God's word goes forth. It is ordained by God because lives depend upon it. That's the importance. This is the importance of, 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 of coming together as a body and hearing God's word as a body, hearing the teaching of God's word as a body because life desire the sincere milk of the word as a baby desires milk desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow thereby be filled with the word of Christ don't shrink back Hebrews 10 and 39 says this but we are not of those who shrink back and are are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere, uh, persevere their souls. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you remind us in the pages of Scripture of the reality of who you are. Father, we can grow complacent in our thinking. And to begin to think of you and think that you are like us. That your ways are are our ways. And the way that you think is the way that we think. We think that you we we do that. And we do it because we have this remaining sin that is in us that 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 draws us away from you and distorts our thinking. Father, this helps us to understand our desperate need of your grace. The grace that you said that if we come to your throne, it is a throne of grace. And we can find grace and mercy there. Father, we need your grace. The grace to enable us to live in ways that honor you and honor Jesus Christ. And we need your mercy for when we fail. When we fail to, to, to live as we are, we, we ask that you would be, be merciful to us in those times. And yet be gracious. Be merciful and, and forgive us of our sin, but be gracious and enable to do that which you command us to do. And Father, this is what it means to offer to you the our bodies and an acceptable worship that we give ourselves we give ourselves in faith in Jesus Christ and all that he is and we our confidence is is what he has done and in him we have everything that pertains to life and godliness and we can and we can live in a way that that there are times where we will find success in this world. We will live the Christian life in a way that honors you. And we thank you for those times. But again, be with us in those times when we are weak, when the trials of this life, like the storms, batter against the, 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 the boat of our faith and cause us to drift. Father, be gracious to us in those times. Because in reality, we love you with all our heart. We 
love you with all our soul. We don't want to disappoint you. But we need your help. We need your enabling. Help us to, to take heed and be serious when it comes to your word. And we thank you for your word here today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.